Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome to the season one finale of Psyche Magic. I'll make some exciting announcements about season two in the mid-episode break, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for joining me thus far on this journey into the depths of our inner worlds. Fittingly, this episode is going to be about dreams of water how this element represents our creative and emotional landscapes, as well as our subconscious. I'd say this is an especially important element for me, being that my big three in astrology are all water signs, Pisces sun, Scorpio moon, and Scorpio rising. Phew. (laughs) My natural habitat is the emotional realm which can feel like an uncomfortable and even dangerous place, often rightfully so. But I was born to learn to breathe underwater, and my purpose in life involves helping others to do the same. My dreams have reflected this symbolically for as long as I can remember. They're full of rivers, lakes, oceans, pools, and baths. I thought that in the spirit of this, we could invoke the element of water to bless this episode. Here, I'll be using an invocation technique taught to me by the one and only Pam Grossman of the Witch Wave podcast. Let's begin. We call in the element of water to bless and enhance this time of reflection. Element of shape-shifting element of steady change, the life giver, element of weather and storm, of ever-evolving emotion, element of the psychic whisper, the conduit, the unknowable depths, element of cleansing and purifying, of surrender to what is, of allowing, element of our blood, sweat, and tears, of the subliminal dream world, the shadow, and the underworld. We welcome you, element of water. Blessed be. Thank you for joining me in carving out some sacred space. This episode will feature a dear friend and fellow psychotherapist who I admire so very much, Nat Roth. Nat recently opened her private practice in Nashville, Inner Elements, as a temp-licensed marriage and family therapist, where she works with individuals and couples. 
She is passionate about honoring sensitivities, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Nat believes our bodies are messengers. Her studies, life experiences, and spiritual journey have led her to a deeper personal integration of the embodied experience, which honors her sensitivities as an HSP, which stands for highly sensitive person. As you'll see in our conversation, Nat is deeply committed to her own personal work, as only the most dedicated healers and practitioners should be, must be. She and I end up talking a lot about the practice of making space to nurture one's creativity throughout the lifespan. In her recent book, On Freedom, Maggie Nelson quotes Jacques Rancière, Art's meaning is owned by no one, but which subsists between artist and spectator, excluding any uniform transmission, any identity of cause and effect. And she goes on to call art a third thing that exists between people. I love this because it reminds me of why I find tarot, dreams, mythology, and mediumship to be so enthralling. They all speak the language of symbol and carry resonance through a multiplicity of meanings. Nat and I both are huge fans of Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves which you've heard me talk about many times as I continue to digest and integrate its infinite wisdom. I wanted to read you this passage from chapter 10 with the very fitting title, Clear Water, Nourishing the Creative Life. Quote, The creative force flows over the terrain of our psyches, looking for the natural hollows, the arroyos, the channels that exist in us. We become its tributaries, its basins. We are its pools, ponds, streams, and sanctuaries. The wild creative force flows into whatever beds we have for it, those we are born with, as well as those we dig with our own hands. We don't have to fill them. We only have to build them. In archetypal lore, there is the idea that if one prepares a special psychic place, then the being, the creative force, the soul source, will hear of it, sense its way to it, and inhabit that place. Whether this force is summoned by the biblical, go forward and prepare a place for the soul, or as in the film Field of Dreams, in which a farmer hears a voice urging him to build a baseball diamond for the spirits of players past, if you build it, they will come. Preparing a fitting place induces the great creative force to advance. Once that great underground river finds its estuaries and branches into our psyches, our creative lives fill and empty, rise and fall in seasons, just like the wild river. These cycles cause things to be made, fed, fall back, and die away, all in their own right time, and over and over again. Unquote. Now, on to my interview with Nat Roth. 
All right. Nat Roth, welcome to Psyche Magic. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) We are going to have so much fun. Nat and I may or may not have been having a love fest for a few minutes before we started recording. So we're both a little giddy right now. We are both big fans of each other. We are both therapists. And so this is just a real treat, girl. So it really is. Yeah. Just so many paths of interest that cross between us and We ended up in the same office during my internship. And I was like, I think I need to know that person. (laughs) Literally, yes. Like from the moment you stepped into my sort of sphere, I was like, who who is this? I just had that little spark, that little like tingle of like, I need to get to know this person. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. It's mutually resonates. Yes, you know that. (laughs) Well, so Nat and I are going to have a lot to talk about. So we are both therapists who are drawn towards more sort of depth oriented work, right? Is that fair to say? Definitely. Depth is a part of my design, Mm -hmm. I think, in this lifetime. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to talk about dreams and our dream lives. We're going to talk about our respective therapy practices and sort of the way that we like to work. So let's get into it, girl. Let's pull a card. I can't wait. Pull a tarot card. Yeah, what do the cards have for us, Jordan? Uh, Let's see what comes up today. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait until I feel sort of the tingle. I always get when I'm pulling a tarot card, this is my little process. Yeah, tell me. I'll set the intention. So what if I'm asking a question or if I'm just asking for sort of general guidance, which is the case here, like every time I pull a card for the show, I'm like, I just want a little general guidance for the conversation. Where do we need to go? Where do we need to focus on? So I do that and I shuffle and I just sort of hold that intention in mind. And then when I land on a card that I think might be the one, I look at the card for a few seconds and I wait. And the signal that I get is that I'll feel like a little tingle in my like third eye. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Usually it takes a couple. And so I'll wait. And then once I get the tingle, I'm like, okay, that's the one. I love how you're tuning into your body and that process. Yes. So I'm going to take a second and do that now. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Here we go. You know what? This is interesting. So I actually had two cards that sort of jumped out at me today. Yeah. We're going to break the tradition of the podcast. Oh, (laughs) we're going to do two because that is just sometimes your intuition just tells you that that's the vibe. So the first card, judgment. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. What a powerful card. Very powerful card. So for the listeners, I'll just describe it quickly. First of all, the all of the people in this card are in the water. I just want to just want to point that out. Spoiler alert, yes. Nat and I are going to be talking about water today. So everybody's in the water. Everybody is rising up like out of these like coffins or caskets. All of the people are nude. They're raising their hands to the sky. And then up in the sky is this angel figure blowing this horn. They have wings. They're coming out of the clouds and just sort of descending down upon this scene. It's a very, very powerful image. So that's the first card. And then the second card is justice. 
So we've got judgment and we've got justice. Wow. Yeah. Totally different feel, right? Exactly. The words almost sound the same, but the the feel of the card is so, so different. Exactly. Yeah. For the listeners, justice is a figure who's seated on a throne. There is like a very sort of sparse atmosphere. It's all just like concrete, stone, very plain. The figure is staring straight ahead, like in a very sort of decisive way. And wearing a crown, holding a sword in one hand, holding the scales of justice in the other hand, and just seated in this very like balanced position. Okay. So we've got judgment and justice. Wow. What's sort of like being inspired for you? What are your associations? Well, for the listeners, my journey with tarot has definitely evolved over time. You know, it started as a really playful inquiry with some girlfriends you know, just wanting to explore ourselves more deeply. And and I think over time, yeah, I've really developed a more intimate relationship with tarot. So as I saw judgment, as you showed that to me immediately, you know, I was drawn to the water and then I couldn't quite tell what else the people were standing in. It almost looked as if open coffins or maybe small personal baths, right? And the association I get with this card, well, I think there's many, but the one that was coming up as you showed it was really this, a calling to something. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the angel figure at the top, I feel, you know, with the horn, you know, is essentially calling upon And with the water and the land, you know, I feel like that's an emotional, almost like soul calling. Okay. That's the association I get with that card. And then you followed that up with justice and sort of what came in my third eye, if you will, my mind's eye in that moment was, whoa, these cards really reflect maybe even a collective feeling of the world right now. Mm -hmm. And then also we have a personal experience with these. So justice... I think there's almost like this, a body reaction when I see that card. Okay. Some people might have a body reaction when they pull the death card. Justice is, you know, it feels like there's a lot of red. Yeah. And, but then, you know, there's also a lot of balance and, but it reminds me of like balancing power, Mm -hmm. even wisdom. I think Justice card, I haven't pulled that one as much personally, but I have throughout my life definitely pulled judgment. That one appears quite often, I would say. Me too. I pull the judgment card quite often. I think that this combination is so interesting. So the thing that really stands out for me as of right now, and as the conversation unfolds, the way it usually works is that more of these kind of secrets get revealed, which is cool. Always. Yes, always. But as of now, the thing that's coming up for me is that both of these cards, or maybe I should say the combination of these cards, speak to the ways in which we are responsible to ourselves and to each other. And if we think about the concept of sort of life review, right, then these cards and the way that they work together are speaking to the ways that we will be held responsible and that we have to show up for ourselves and for each other because every day and every action matters. And so at the end of our lives, we want to be able to say like, wow, okay, what were the ways that I really showed up? What do I want to see in that review? 
I think especially you pulling two major arcana cards here, I always feel when I pull a major arcana card that there's like a really large message there is is potent, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost as if, you know, the universe is like, this is a really important time for whether it be a review mm-hmm. of our actions, maybe ownership with mm-hmm. justice as well. And then moving forward, you know, and I also think there's this beautiful like portal and major arcana too moving forward, right? Yes. Yeah, because it's almost like a rite of passage. Yes. The other thing that I want to say about this series is that these are also concepts or constructs, justice and judgment that can easily be twisted and distorted. Totally. And yeah, and we're seeing so much of that right now. Mm-hmm. We're feeling that. Yes. Yeah. So there, just as much as there's an emphasis on sort of right action and like, what do I want to see in my life review? There's also this element of how do I watch out for distortions of judgment, distortions of the justice system within my own view of the world and also in the systems around me. This is the sort of balance that we have to be holding in life. Mm. And you're right. It's massive. It's oceanic concept. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, my mind is shooting off into how this applies in so many facets of my life and beyond. And I think that's, you know, why tarot can be so powerful because it can potentially light off, you know, different parts in our brain or our soul or our body that maybe we weren't like inquiring about before. I don't know, personally, I know you get so excited about this process, you know, and then how imagery and story and metaphor and dreams, of course, can highlight and maybe put it, I like to think of it like put a spotlight and some of the dark caves or deep depths of the ocean. Yeah. Yes. So we'll see what little secrets that these cards will reveal to us, but let's get into your dream life. Okay. Yeah. I would love for you to sort of give us this concept that you feel like has been pervasive in your dreams. And so we'll talk about like how it applies. So feel free to describe it however you like, and we'll just let it flow. Definitely. So, well, just to give a little background, I think maybe in my early 20s, I stumbled upon Freud's interpretation of dreams and in an old bookstore. And I was like, okay, there's something here. But also there was a feeling that I didn't like about the book that I couldn't quite pick up on. And then I found Young's work and Women Who Run With Wolves. And yeah, just really the empowerment that I think those teachers specifically gave to these concepts. So And I've never been a huge dream tracker, but I have been someone that is aware of my dreams. And so, yeah, yeah, I think the dream world is a really powerful one and a theme that I show up or I see show up a lot, I notice show up a lot is the element of water and specifically oceans. And I've found myself in so many different journeys (laughs) in the ocean and my dreams, fun, fantastical, terrifying you name it, tidal waves, it's wild, you know, and sometimes it can feel really stirring Mm -hmm. upon awakening, I think. But uh, I've always been really curious about the dream world because even as a kid, I I would sleepwalk sometimes, you know, and have night terrors and 
mm-hmm. an innate curiosity, especially, you know, moving into the field of psychology around like, huh, what, yeah, what is happening in the dream life? What maybe can we learn from these messages? Yeah. So I think, yeah, just personally, it's always been something that I've been drawn to. And water for me, I think really symbolizes emotion and my dream world. That's kind of how I interpret that. Yeah. What about for you? I'm I'm curious because I know water shows up for you as well, correct? Yes. Yes. So when I was reading over some of Nat's notes as we were preparing for the podcast, I got really excited because yes, I would say that water is the symbol and the element that shows up the most for me in my dreams. Mm. And so I think it's really cool, Nat, because you're already teaching me about how water is, because initially I, I agree with you. I think of water as the emotional world. That's the association in tarot with the suit of cups is that it's all about the emotion and the intuition. And that has always felt like the most natural guiding source for me in life. So whether or not I was listening to my intuition is a different story, (laughs) but (laughs) hear that (laughs) it's always felt like naturally it was the place that I was just wanting to turn towards the most, whether or not I was conflicted about that urge. Yes. I I relate deeply. Okay, cool. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one, Mm -hmm. but the thing that you said that sort of hit me in a completely different way was this association with water, with the sort of underworld mm-hmm. and with death. Yes. And I had not really, maybe subconsciously a little bit somewhere, but consciously I had not really made that association. Mm-hmm. But when you think about water, yes. sort of mythologically, it is when you go to the underworld, there's always the river, the water of the souls like flowing, like that's their channel. Right. And so it's just an yeah. additional layer of that symbol that I feel like unfolding now. Right. And I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of the ocean <laughs> before, but no, I have not. It feels like where the color of the water is very, very dark. And especially when you're at the depths, you know, are below you. My grandfather, we grew up going deep sea fishing. And so I've also been exposed to the deep ocean as well. And I think it calls to me. Yeah. And I think even just looking at our ocean, you know, and like our water and how that's shifted over time, I feel a strong pull to the ocean and my dreams, the ocean at times shows up like really rocky and stirred and, you know, depending what's maybe happening in my life or maybe what my soul is moving through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have noticed that the symbol of sort of turbulent water has indicated just like more intense sort of emotional experiences. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that or maybe like death, grief, moving through challenging aspects of life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What about for you? What do you, what do you notice? I will say that it's interesting because in your dreams, oftentimes you're in the middle of the ocean, which as you said, is such a specific experience. And that actually is an experience that I have sort of a deep like fear around. Like I'm talking about consciously, right? Like when I go to the beach or whatever, I don't want to go to the middle of the ocean. I'm like, I'm good. I'll just stay near the shore. I don't need to go out there. I'm fine. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, that feels 
overwhelming. I grew up actually on a river. So the Frio River in Texas, my family owns a little home out there. It used to be literally a cabin. So we were like camping and then they since sort of renovated it and made it like a nice house, which completely changed the experience. But I grew up going there every single summer. And so that river was a very like holy place for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In childhood, I was mostly just a creek stomper. Nice. In Indiana, you know? And yeah, we were making clay pieces and just finding ourselves in the woods. Amazing. Yeah, nature has always been just safety, play, almost even access to the spirit world, if you will, as a kid. Because, I mean, you think about it. You go out there as a kid and you create your own world. Yeah. It was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's really powerful. So yeah, water can show up in all of these different ways. And for me, it most often shows up in the form of just, I'm trying to accomplish like a simple, normal task, but I'm having to do it in the water. And the water is not a natural habitat for a human, right? So like I'm having to adapt and I'm having to adjust. And so I think it speaks to a lot of the ways that I've had to find my own way to find my own sort of path and resiliency in an environment that I just wasn't well adjusted to. Yeah. I grew up in a very fundamentalist religious environment. And even though I wanted to be good and wanted to be very devout, I never felt connected to those ideologies. I felt connected to spirit. (laughs) Right. In that context, like I still found a connection to spirit, but the ideas themselves were traumatic to me. And so I think a lot of my watery stuff is about having to kind of Mm. forge my own way when it's uncomfortable. You're bringing something up within me that, because I think with dreams, this happens a lot. They kind of, the details of them come and go, but oh yeah, as you were talking, what I remembered was a lot of my dreams and the water and the ocean were about trying to get through something, right? Or like maybe find land, right? That what you were saying, navigating through something and maybe a situation also known as, you know, just not being able to stand on land, you know, and finding our feet and bringing that tie back to childhood. Like what you were talking about. Yeah, I don't think I had the language either. I didn't have the community what was presented to me, you know, wasn't necessarily the right thing for me. And that's okay. That what I've realized, like, you know, part of my journey was, you know, being in different communities, maybe that weren't aligned, you know, with my system or my beliefs or my values and really like integrating those parts of my story so that I can move forward right? Maybe even the judgment and the justice, you know, like evaluate my path. Yes. It's so much what a powerful sort of challenge to be given is that I have to seek out this authenticity in a context that is difficult. Like 100%. It makes it all the more powerful to arrive there. Yeah. Especially, yeah. If, you know, your authentic self wasn't safe you know, to be able to express in the community that you're in or maybe are currently in, right? Because we know that there's still a lot of people that don't feel safe or can't feel safe. This is the ultimately, (laughs) 
therapists love to do this. I'm going to laugh at myself while I do it. Tell me, tell me. But I'm just, I can't help but tie these things back to doing therapy and what that process feels like. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it feels like that wading out in the middle of the ocean with our clients, trying to find something to grab onto, namely trying to find an experience of safety and build that and hold on to that and cultivate that together. Yes. It's what it feels like. Yeah, that is, I love how you tied that in to what we do because that is, and, and a lot of times, you know, we're both out there on our little safety rafts and, you know, there's a, maybe a rope that's connecting us and we're just finding our way yeah. and that connection piece, right? The relationship, the safety and relationship. Yeah. Crucial. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially we need one another, humans. Yes. The justice and the judgment are so often the ways that we sort of turn against ourselves. And I think a lot about how in therapy, I'm helping people and helping myself learn to accept and go with and understand instead of judge and fight against myself and my nature and who I am. Wow. Yeah. Leaning into self-compassion trusting ourselves, loving ourselves. (laughs) That is hard. Yes. Like that's the (laughs) nugget. That's like the little nougaty center of what we're always trying to get to. Mm -hmm. You just said it like the self-compassion, the self-awareness, self-understanding, being kind to myself, trusting myself. Mm -hmm. That really is the basis of what we're trying to cultivate. Right. Yeah. As someone that is continuing to cultivate those things, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, even before this call, Jordan, you know, there were, I call them, uh, since, you know, I work with the internal family systems approach. Yes. I was talking with my parts before this call because I had some people in there (laughs) that were saying, you know, essentially I call them ruminating thoughts when they start going down a certain path. And like, I get to lean into those now. I get to lean in and check in and with those thoughts, develop relationship with them and invite them into my core, my center, where mm-hmm. there is an abundance of love and trust and compassion that I can offer those parts of myself. There are definitely moments where I feel I can't offer those qualities to other parts of myself, you know, with shame or anger or grief, you know, some of the really, really hard things that we move through. I, I know how challenging it can be to move into that space. Yes. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I have a few quick announcements to make. I'll be wrapping up season one of the podcast at the end of April. Episode 16 will be the last episode of season one. This is such a huge milestone for so many reasons. Many of you who've been following along know that learning to use my voice regularly and publicly has been an immense challenge and a profound blessing. I'll be taking the summer off to travel, reset, and brainstorm some fresh ideas for season two in September. 
This podcast is a labor of love and an independent operation. As I think carefully about the ways I can sustainably continue this work that I have grown to care so deeply about, I'm going to need your help. Starting in season two, I'll be transitioning my bi-weekly bonus episodes, which as of now include dream exploration exercises and guided meditations, to a subscription-based platform, likely starting out here on Anchor and later possibly transitioning to Patreon. Bonus content for season one will remain free to all. If you're like me, supporting independent arts is deeply meaningful and a source of pride. If you decide to become a patron of this podcast, know that you'll be helping to keep the lights on, allowing me to pay my team a fair wage, which as of now consists of just myself and my amazing editor, Misuzu Inaga, and offsetting the financial and energetic costs of making the show. If you've been to my website, you also know that a portion of any proceeds from this podcast will go towards community-based organizations that support LGBTQ youth, such as the Oasis Center here in Nashville. I'll include a poll at the end of this episode where you can tell me what you'd like to see offered at the subscriber level. As always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for engaging with this show. I hope it is an encouragement to you and an inspiration to take the quiet whispers of your soul seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is something that I was hoping that we would get to. So I'm so glad that you brought it up. But for the listeners, if you're not familiar with IFS, internal family systems, it is a beautiful modality. A lot of it really is uh, Carl Jung's kind of ideas about the unconscious and integrating the different parts of the self. But I think repackaged into a much more sort of digestible framework. I'm not sure what you think, but that's sort of my Yes, it's, yeah, I mean- you know, there's the IFS mandala. Yeah, there are so many overlaps. Yes, yes. Those schools of thought. And I have not met Richard Schwartz, who's come up with it, but I've studied and I've done the trainings. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he's a fan of Carl Young, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, for us as therapists, having a clinical therapeutic model, right, yes. can be helpful as we navigate challenging concepts potentially such as Carl Jung, you know, know. which maybe maybe, like our brains can't always comprehend the existentialism of what he poses. I completely agree. Yeah. And having a framework like IFS to come back to, which is all about identifying and learning to work with the different parts of the self. So an example I give people a lot is the inner child part, for example, or the inner critic part that we notice Mm -hmm. that always has that same sort of role to play, right? Right. And so getting curious about what those roles are and how we may want to start recasting and reworking some of those, working with them differently, perhaps making them more conscious. It's powerful stuff. Right. Yeah. By developing relationship. This isn't anything that I am coming up with. This internal family systems and Carl Young, right? But um, essentially, if we can embrace all of our parts and not label any of them as bad, 
you know, and really meet them, understand them, just develop a relationship with them. And trust me, there are some parts my brain are still having a hard time with, you know, it's a process. And I consider it essentially just a daily practice of just being aware with myself and how I'm being, or how I'm essentially just in relationship with all parts of myself. And some days are better than others, Jordan, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Because therapists are humans as well. And, you know, we are on the same path, which is what I love about the work that we get to do. I mean, I'm someone that loves my own personal therapy, which led me to wanting to go on this journey of becoming a therapist. Me too. And it's something that, yeah, I just know is like part of my journey here is to explore, like you said, the depth. And really, and work with these more challenging parts or aspects of self that are here and present, I think, with all of us. Yeah, me too. It's what just really lights me up. Yes. It's what makes me excited to be alive. I'm like emotional talking about it. I know. I know. We're in a cancer moon. I'm a cancer. (laughs) Girl, there's a lot of emotion. There's We're... Nashville's covered in snow in March. Oh, we are covered yeah. in a gorgeous blanket of snow <laughs> it's today. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Yes. Okay, you're a Cancer. What, Romy? I'm Cancer Sun, Leo Rising, Pisces Moon. Yeah. Oh, girl, we've got the Pisces connection. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah. All the water. Yes, I have a lot of water and fire. I have a stellium Leo in my first house and. Um, my Mercury in Cancer in 12th house. Ooh. My son is also in the 12th house. So there's a lot of underworld themes and grief. Yes. Yeah. And it's been clear on a conscious level to me too, just through my experiences in my life. So I feel for me, like astrology and these tools, tarot really highlight things that I maybe wouldn't necessarily notice consciously if I didn't have these ways to relate to them. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Underworld themes. I am Scorpio everything. Like it's just. Oh, that is fun. Is it, are you having a good time? <laughs> I'm having a great time. <laughs> I love Scorpio. I really do. <laughs> when I learned that about myself, because all I knew for the longest time was just that I had a Pisces son and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, that's, that's cool. But when I learned that I had like Scorpio moon, Scorpio rising, like all these sort of deeper, darker placements, I was like, oh, (laughs) there it is. is. (laughs) Right. That makes sense. Yes. That's my little dark side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I feel like it's so interesting because I feel like our dream conversation really has been about just sort of this pervasiveness of water and all the different layers of what that means. But are there other dream moments or sort of dream themes that you want to share or not? Just curious. Yeah. I think one that I noticed because it was a recurring one. Yeah. And it was different every time, but it was at the same place. and. It was at one of my childhood homes. Mm -hmm. So I found that to be really interesting because I was having these dreams later on in life. Okay. Probably in my early, mid-20s. And I think there was a lot of identity exploration for me in in those years and and really differentiation and piecing through 
my childhood and yeah, the young adult task. Yes, 100% because I was having my own relationships and I was out in the world experiencing the world on my own. And so it was interesting because there was always a lot of people that would be there. And the I was always an observer. I wasn't participating really in the dream. And it was like, I wasn't there, but there was all of these different scenes. Some of them were memories of certain things. And then some of them were new characters. Sometimes people I don't think I knew, right? There was, yeah, there was all kinds of things happening, but then I stopped having that recurring dream. And I think for me, what that symbolized was, well, I don't associate as much, mm, what is the feeling? I think maybe anger mm. or resentment about what happened. Judgment at the injustice of what happened, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that reminder. Yes. I think there's just been a greater, greater acceptance. And just, I think once again, moving into that compassion space. Girl. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The reason that I said that, by the way, judgment at the injustice is that that is what my sort of childhood wound healing has looked like is that there's been a lot of anger. And so then moving through the anger and then letting it transmute into this place of compassion and forgiveness of self and others, right? Both. Mm-hmm. There's less of the resistance, wailing and gnashing of teeth, and there's more peace. Right. And then I think. That for me is when my relationship with the judgment card changed. You know, I can't place it at a time, but I used to think I used to get a visceral reaction when I used to pull that card around. I don't know. It was like, it felt as if I think my relationship was, okay, the universe is judging me or is there a higher thing that's judging me maybe out there? And then I think anger turned into, yeah, just so much more compassion. And I think almost even just like deep catharsis within myself, like kind of coming back to self and realizing, I don't know who I am and what's important to me. And then almost being able to externalize some of what happened. Yeah. And those relationships, because we take things so personally and relationships, right? And when I was a kid, of course, these are the people that are I love them and I, and I want them to care for me. That's deeply personal. Yeah. always will be. And I think, you know, my spiritual practice later on in life, you know, a little bit of Buddhist <laughs> sprinkles in there of, oh yeah, non-attachment you said. Yeah. And that really helped me to just have a totally different perspective about the story, right? Which is my story can be such a powerful tool. I believe I use story and writing, you know, as a part of my own healing journey. Yes. Yeah. I hope that our conversation is understandable and relatable, but I also know that I feel like I am resonating with everything that you're saying. I have been through my own journey of going through that sort of underworld of like, here's all the pain that I must face first. And I'm an EMDR therapist. And so this is almost always the way that an EMDR reprocessing session goes. It's that I'm looking at this traumatic material. I'm first reprocessing the depth of pain that I experienced Mm -hmm. only to then come out on the other side with a bit more separation and awareness that maybe this wasn't necessarily all about 
me in terms of being my fault or somehow that I am the reason that this happened, right? I'm letting go of that attachment, as you said. I'm finding Mm. that non-attachment, but only after I've observed how much this affected me. Where in the face? Yes. It takes a lot. Yeah. And then that sometimes can take a really long time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I love how you're bringing that back in because I I would say like that dream process, you know, of all of that. Also, there was a lot of therapy falling on my face, a lot of figuring it out and a lot of confusion, you know, so it, it totally is a process. And, you know, I'm not an EMDR therapist, but, um, tying it into IFS, Mm -hmm. the way that I like to think about working with the system um, and processing is we tend to move really slow and just really trusting that essentially there are protective parts in the system. That's really important to honor all of the protection. And as a therapist, I work with a lot of really highly sensitive people and I identify as a highly sensitive person. Me too. Me too. Yes. Yeah. And so when the system is protective, so so what does that mean exactly? It could just mean that maybe there's there's a lot of complex trauma and or PTSD or so many other things, right? That the, the system needed to develop managers and protectors that took on certain roles, you know. Yes. And for me, that looks like, you know, at times coping with different things, you know, it could be technology, substances, yeah. overworking. Yes. Right. I can really cope with anything. And and so sometimes that will be just a way that um will go about life, you know, that yeah. might become a firefighter when we're younger and what that means in IFS, an extreme protective part. And so, yeah, when we work with the system and IFS, what I love about it so much is that it's really slow. We don't have to sort of immediately go to the trauma. Oftentimes yes. we like we can't, you know, because the protectors won't let us, it won't, it won't be safe to. And so, yeah, in my work, I really just love to honor how sensitive each of our systems are and and how important it is to, yeah, just be gentle with all all of our parts and, and, and what they need and what you said too, with kind of taking it out and looking at it, you know, and, and IFS, we really develop relationship with our parts, yeah, whether it be in image or a sensation in the body, or like you said, inner child, sometimes clients will bring in pictures and we'll create scenes and experiment with that in the room. Right. Yeah. And just honor like this part's experience so that they can move forward and move into that soul place or the self as uh, IFS calls it. So the self can nurture that part. Yes. And embrace that part. This is, again, we're coming back to this theme of acceptance of Mm -hmm. the entirety of our experience, the entirety of our reactions to our experience. Yeah. Like you said, the protectors are there for a reason. I have a lot of clients who will say, well, I just want to get rid of my inner critic part. Like, I just want this part (laughs) to go away. And it's like, oh, that part is there for a reason. It's trying to keep Mm -hmm. you safe. Let's learn Mm -hmm. more about it. Let's learn to work with it. Right. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I laugh. Right. Because I know I felt the same. <laughs> I know I was like, yeah, please, please help me this <laughs> uh, get rid of inconvenient. this part. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I've also noticed it takes way less energy 
for me to work with my own inner system in this way by embracing it because my belief is truly that, you know, the self, capital S, or the soul, spirit, yeah, highest self, whatever you want to call it, I like to call it self or the soul. Yeah. This is our life force energy and our bodies want us to move towards that, you know, and, and IFS is just one. There's so many different ways that we can support our bodies, our minds, our souls towards that place. Yes. It's amazing. Well, it's a reminder of the depth of one's own sort of inner knowing and intuition. And if I can learn to trust that more often, I'll find that there is a lot more just sort of calm certainty. Like I feel like I'm in like a self moment when there's just like a calm certainty around what I need and what, you know, it's like not a lot of drama. It's just like, yes. This is the thing. It's usually just like a very kind of decisive statement. But I asked that about the inner child because I personally, when I work with my inner child, I tend to view her now as Mm -hmm. being very wise. And so if I'm, if I'm working with my inner child, I'm like, give me what you think, give me your sort of wisdom. And so I think I am coming to see her more as sort of like an offshoot of the self, like a little seed of the self that's been there all along. Yes. Well, okay. So now that you put it that way, (laughs) so essentially all of our parts also are the self when we integrate, when we can unblend when we have extreme parts, because all of them are very important to sort of our earthly experience and the self like sort of facilitates all of the part. That is, that's how I understand and integrate IFS. So all of them and integrating them and listening to them is so important uh, because they have needs, you know, like all of our parts have needs. If we can listen to them almost from this, you know, grounded adult self, if you will, place, that's where they like have that access to that, you know, whether you identify with like solar plexus, that light in the middle of your body or wherever it is. That's how I like to think about it. So yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Yes. And listening to our inner child is so fun <laughs> and uh, it's just super important. fun. <laughs> yeah. No, I real talk. I went on like a glamping trip recently for my birthday. Oh, fun. Ugh, it was so fun. We had a great time. Can't wait was, to hear more about it. I will give you the full yes. rundown, but it was very relaxing. And I got this booklet of Lisa Frank stickers. Do you remember Lisa Frank? Were you like a Lisa Frank person? I'm not a, like my brain doesn't name oh recognize. So it's okay. Me. Mine doesn't either. Lisa Frank okay. is the um, designer from like the nineties that did all of these like brilliantly colored images of like animals and there'd be like dolphins and they were like rainbow colors. Yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. My mom has a very vibrant style. Rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we had some Lisa Frank around. Oh my God. I, as a child, it was just like my everything, Lisa Frank. And so I got this booklet of Lisa Frank stickers and I legit had so much fun for like an hour, just like decorating my journal with Lisa Frank stickers. I was like, my inner child is just beaming right now. It was so fun. I love imagining you doing that. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think honestly, that's why my inner child is so excited about the snow that came this morning because Mm. she was like, we get to not go anywhere and we can paint and read and listen to music this weekend and go stomp outside with the dog, right? We don't have to be adults. We can play. 
Yes, it's so important to play. And, you know, I didn't listen to my inner child for years, years, years. I was so, I was very serious. That led to like a soul death of sorts, you know? I know exactly what you mean. It's not an exaggeration, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's that the inner child is part of that sort of life force. Yes. Yeah. So I'm so happy to listen to her now. (laughs) And it's so important for us to be in relationship together. Yeah. And I know you prioritize that and your work. And yeah, I really try to introduce this uh, with my clients, you know, that are open to it. And I honor that some people aren't open to this great work. Oh yeah. And, and that's great too, because there's other ways to explore these concepts and, and honor. hundred percent. Yeah. If you're talking to two therapists, you just can't <laughs> help it. You're going to get into some of this like silly of stuff because it does. It sounds silly. Like I have a lot of clients right. like, I'll introduce this concept and they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, I know, I know it sounds so like cheesy, but that's the thing is that we have to give ourselves permission to play and be curious and not, right. not judge. Exactly. Okay. Now, speaking of play, Nat, speaking of creativity, girl, you mentioned that you had a poem that you wanted to share with us. And if you're still open to that, I want to invite you to share it. If you would like. I would love to share it. Good. Yeah. So just an introduction into this. Yes, please. So Jordan and I live in Nashville, (laughs) surrounded by artists, you know, and, and I came here and I told her, no, I'm not an artist. No, I'm not a musician. Right. Because that's what the first question we get. Well, I don't do that professionally. Yeah. Well, I wasn't doing that either because part of my repressing my inner child and, you know, experiencing shame as an adult really repressed my inner artist. Me too. My child, like, and as, (laughs) and as a kid, that's all I did. Created, played, sang, danced. Me too. Literally same. Yes. Made videos. I know you did all of this. So (laughs) we would have been besties. (laughs) I think our inner children are the ones that like brought us together. But please continue. Yes, they did. So, so that's kind of where, um, you know, this, this poem came out of, I wrote it at the beginning of this year, sort of after I graduated and I was in a state of rest, but also reflecting on so much and looking at some old journals. And it reminded me in one of your earlier podcast episodes, you did a cut up method. Yeah. And where did you get that from? Was it, was it Bowie? So yeah, David Bowie took this from William S. Burroughs, who used to use this technique. He would pull passages from different texts and then piece them all together and make something completely new. I love that. So that's not what I've done. This is what I've written, but a lot of words are from pieces of literature of course. that I read and that influence me. So it's almost like a cut up in my own way. So I'll go on this. Yes, please. So it's called The Dream. A sense of belonging in oneself that is impenetrable, undeniable to the naked eye upon the sun, a guttural longing for something more, knowing there must be. I've set my sails, hit the trails, and rode out west. The dream out there is just that, merely a dream. Deep despair, swords of shame, unconsciousness. The awakened and embodied soul, despierto y encarnada alma, soars to the high road. The ultimate piece of mastery, the chosen journey, the contract. 
the hidden country, stoking coals and livening the intrinsic ventral voice within, awakening their neighbors through serpent and spirit songs. Green eyes, wild, and she must be named, honored, delighted upon, the queen of cups, bathing in the moon's luminosity, blessed upon. You know I love you so. Words like waterfalls cleansing my dead skin in the pink ocean. See, she shines so brightly for you. The provoking drumbeat of an inspired soul, la cantadora. No explanation, a declaration. Threshold of adventure awaits, consciousness, life energy, stained glass psychedelic colors in the dark room, peach juice trickling down the back of your arm as summer beckons your call. Lemon glazing down the crevices as molten lava. Ah, the truth has settled into my heart. I hunted you, craved you, longed wildly in the night forest of you. I left you in the woods, swinging as you were, as the winter leaped into spring. I found you, again, took an Artemisian leap of you. Your doors open, solid, luxurious. I found your life in the black hole sun of creation. There I am, the dream. So beautiful. Thanks for receiving it. Thank you. Please, you have to send me a copy of that so that I can read it over and over again. I would love to. Gorgeous. So sensory. Like I've, I felt like I was having such a, like five, like all five senses experience while I was listening to that. It was beautiful. I love hearing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm a very sensory person. <laughs> yeah. So I think the this process for me of writing this out helped me make sense of parts of my journey that don't make sense. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like a flow as well. I don't know if you feel that way. And sometimes your writing process, but just came out. Yeah. Over a period of days, it was just, okay, yeah. this is, this is what needs to be written. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That is my favorite way to write. Is in this sort of like receptive way. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I've always tried to create a little structure. I, I feel like maybe I could use some more with my writing, but um, that's been more of a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Or just when it comes. I think it's important to let yourself have all of the above. Like mm. let yourself be open to writing in that sort of receptive, like let's call it what it is, like sort of divinely inspired yes. way. Yes. But it's also really fun to be like, I'm going to sit down and put pencil to paper now because I want to, because I want mm-hmm. to practice, right? So right. we can have both. I think that sometimes there's kind of this over-romanticization of wanting to channel everything. And it's like, no, right. sometimes I just need to get to work because I want to write. Like I want to be a writer. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think that can be like, you know, sometimes a struggle for creative folks because it feels different when we create structure or, you know, just like patterns or support. But I've noticed, uh, I don't know what about you, especially with starting this podcast, you know, I'm sure you have to um, oh, yeah. And or else maybe maybe or maybe our creative parts would never get anything done. I, that's the thing. I started this podcast because I wanted a reason 
to sit mm-hmm. down and create something on certain incremental levels. Like I said at the beginning, so like, inspiring. I've always felt that just sort of go with the flow and create when I feel inspired. And if this was a dedication of like starting more of a practice around it, yes. that was the intention. Yes. I love that. I can relate to and resonate with that so deeply. And It's so funny that we're having this conversation because over the last week, I really was like, I need some structure to my writing, you know, because I have some things I want to write, you know, outside of poems. Yes. And so navigating, you know, what that looks like for each of us, I think can be, you know, just challenging because we're all different. Right. And I know there's all of these resources you know, for different people, like the artist way, you know, right every morning, right? Yeah, right every morning. I've done that. I've done that. Morning pages. <laughs> oh yeah. For for some reason, yeah, long long term commitments like that freak parts of me out. You know, so I have to like get creative with my parts internally and kind of negotiate. That's what I call it: negotiate play versus structured creative time. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So I think there's ways to do both, right? And just balance and just create balance. Mm -hmm. And it feels better to like support myself in that way so that I know I have, you know, times that I will be writing or painting, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And yeah, I've just, I've always been a writer. I have never, it reminds me of what you said about being an artist, like where you sort of repress it or like write it off. Like, oh no, I'm not really like, but I've always been a writer my whole life. And I'm one of those jokesters who has always been like, I need to, I know I'm artistic, but I need to find my medium. What's my medium? And it's like, girl, you've been writing since you were a child. That is your medium. What are you talking about? (laughs) That is hilarious to me. I mean, I also resonate with that. I'm someone, I have quote unquote, lots of mediums. You know, I was talking, I was talking to my partner last night and, you know, I think because of that, that can feel like, or I have parts that will come out and shed a lot of doubt. Yeah. Oh yeah. And how I feel about that is I really love doing all of the different things that I'm doing and learning, you know, and, and that feels like an alignment with me. And I think we can feel a lot of pressure externally, you know what I mean? And so I love like hearing, you know, like for you, yes, like you're a writer and I'm sure you, I know you do. I actually know you do other things besides writing. Yes. I like to sing. I know. Yes. And uh, yeah. So I feel like for me, just like offering space for all my parts, you know, that are excited about different things and yeah, just giving them time to play. Yes. Has been so, I mean, just enjoyable, but also there's no pressure anymore to have to like need to do a certain thing, if that makes sense, when it comes to that, you know, certain play time and just allowing my my body to explore. Yes. The thing I wanted to circle back to is this idea of, because you mentioned that when you were young, you would have night terrors and difficult experiences when sleeping. And so I feel like whenever this comes up on the podcast, I want to take a moment to focus on that for a second, because this is a very common experience. And I'm curious about your take, because for me, I tend to view those types of experiences as things that people who are maybe highly sensitive are more susceptible 
to, because maybe there's something going on around them energetically that's affecting them while they're sleeping, right? What do you think? Yes, yes, yes. Just, you know, highly sensitive person, also known as sensory processing disorder. Yes. They're doing, they're getting a lot more research, but it is a DNA trait. Yeah. It's a genetic trait. And, you know, so that's interesting. And also with highly sensitive people or empaths, you know, I think we can identify, you know, in ways that work for us and yeah, that help us make sense of our stories. Yeah. Can be susceptible to, yeah, certain energies maybe around them, sensory things, you know, for me that it's always been like sound, taste. Me too. Light. Smell. Yeah. And light. Yes. And even touch, loud noises. That has kind of been a thing for me <laughs> always. And so, you know, as I make sense of that, um, it's hard to say, you know, I, my sister and I both um, struggled and we slept near one another. Yeah. And just because I know you're this kind of podcast, you know, I've, I've explored different things, you know, with energy work, um, with sort of different styles of therapy and and that sort of thing. And yeah, it's, I would say it's challenging to know exactly, of course, what happened. And also that, well, you know, my parents got a divorce when I was seven (gasps) and that was, that was a surprise. And I think maybe my body was picking up on some things within the system, within the home, and maybe even within the larger system as well, because I've always sort of felt really connected environmentally. And, and I really struggled you know, in my childhood home. And there really wasn't looking back. I didn't have to, you know, like I didn't yeah. have to struggle. And I don't like putting it that way necessarily, but um, my body really struggled, you know, and mm-hmm. I even experienced, you know, just certain weird autoimmune stuff would come up and then disappear, you know? So there was all kinds of things that I could tell I was really sensitive. Yeah. And I've always been extremely sensitive to food, any sort of substances, just have to be really careful and intentional. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's tough, but I, as I look back on it, I'm like, obviously there was something that was stirring at me and scaring me. Exactly. And I don't think it was my parents weren't scaring me. That's definitely not what was happening, you know, but I think just there was a disturbance in the field. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Because my parents are lovely people and I had a everything that I needed and there was just some unexplainable things as well. Yeah. And they also have had their own history of trauma yeah. and, you know, lineage within our ancestral history on both sides, you know, it's, it's extremely extensive. I think for all of us, when we really look at it and pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, just for sharing that and for like trusting us with that. I too am no stranger to just like a difficult nighttime experiences, like where you're just going through it even now. And so the thing I want to say about that for the listeners is that something that I have really given myself and many clients permission to do is to take seriously the idea of protecting your energy before you 
go to sleep and before you become yes. a little bit more vulnerable and receptive, because that's what I think the dream yes. world is, is that it's us getting receptive. But if you're experiencing difficult experiences at nighttime, if you're having, you know, sort of a, a random sort of bout of nightmares, right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. nightmares can be attributed to something like trauma and that would need to be worked through. Exactly. Ideally in therapy. But sometimes out of nowhere for me, I'll just have like a string of nights where I'm having like terrible dreams and just really yes. like upsetting. And so I will notice that if I create some sort of intentional practices, if I create a little sort of energy shield for myself before I go to bed and I really say to myself, like, I'm I'm protecting my energy. Like, I want to make sure that I am sealing my energy field off, protecting it, letting it be impenetrable while I sleep. I will notice a difference. I Mm. like, I know that it's just anecdotal, but I truly like, it just helps. Love that you're bringing this up. Yeah. I, you know, I love sleep rituals. I think sleep rituals are so important and talking about sacred. Yeah. What they are with clients and, you know, that might be a new term for some and then, oh yeah. And then we might even practice, you know, in the room, like, what would that look like, you know, to set ourselves up and everyone has their own things that they like, but I always, for me, you know, it's like getting like cleansing, you know, yes. whether that be a bath or a shower, maybe mm-hmm. with some, you know, music and like cleansing is kind of a first step and then setting my senses up, you know, with the right smells for me, yeah. you know, and moving down on, you know, even just like cueing into our bodies, like we are getting cozy. Okay. So yeah, we were kind of wrapping up our conversation about mm-hmm. that sort of like protection and setting ourselves up for success when we go to bed. Right. Was there anything else you wanted to say about that? Well, I think we can also do that anywhere, right? I love carrying little mist bottles, you know, yes. with me to sort of that water. Water is also very grounding for yes. me. You know, it could be just water, or maybe, you know, it has some sort of scent in there. Yes. But uh, yeah, I love using water, even, you know, just washing our face, you know, throughout yeah. the day with some water. That's one of my favorite grounding and like protection tools. Yes. Yeah. What about you? I'm the same way. I, water. Again, water. Water. Like <laughs> water. Yes. Drinking water. Drinking water. Beverages. <laughs> the answer is almost always water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And yeah, here we are landlocked, right, Jordan? I know. <laughs> I know. Creeks I know. and rivers. That's the thing yeah. is that I, even this weekend we were in Mont Eagle and there was like a gorgeous waterfall. Oh, the waterfalls in Tennessee. Stunning. I know you can find it, you know, of course. All right, my love. Well, you are just fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jordan. You're an inspiration for us all. Thank you. And honestly, a rock star Nashville therapist. Thank you. Truly. You inspire me as an, as a new therapist. I'm so grateful to have you as someone to look up to and, you know, to connect with. And honestly, I'm learning so much from your podcast. It is a gift to us all. So thank you for sharing your gifts with us. And it's truly been an honor to join you for this time. And I'm so glad you're doing this. Nat, thank you so much. Your kind words mean the world. And I have so much respect for you as well. Like every time I'm with you, I walk away inspired and energized. I know I've told you this before, but I'm telling you again, it happens every time. And I just adore you. So thank you for sharing yourself with us. I adore you. Thank you for sharing your beautiful poetry and your beautiful ideas. And you are a gift as well. So thank you. 
Thank you, dear. That's a wrap for this episode. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment now to subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast app of choice. It really makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Thank you again to my guest, Nat Roth. I'm so blessed to know you. Thank you for seeing me. May our inner children enjoy playing together for many years to come. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you and you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. The link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time.